Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohe Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week's Parsha is Vagigash, which is named for the action that Yehuda takes to approach Yosef and speak to him in a different way. Mikates ends on this awful cliffhanger where there's just mounting tension, and it's clear that the situation is a counter peg about to explode, and that that explosion is probably going to be in a very negative way. And then this week's Parsha Vayigash, Yehuda approaches Yosef in a way that he's able to change the tone of the conversation and also change the tone of the emotions in the room. And Yehuda gives over the story of what happened with um, their brother, not whether Yehuda knows it's Yosef or not, certainly no one else seems to know it's Yosef at this point. And then not only diffuses the tension, but also arouses within Yosef so much emotion. Then the beginning that chapter 45 opens with Yosef demands, he can't hold it in anymore. He can't control himself anymore. And so he demands that all of the Egyptian attendants leave the room. Of course, there were Egyptians in the room. Yosef's a very big deal. So they were in the room. Now they've got to leave. And then once they leave, he tells the brothers who he is, and he says, Ani Yosef I am Yosef, is my father still well? And the brothers are shocked, and then Yosef explains who he is and what happens, etc. It's this like amazing reunion, and also a huge sense of relief that the powder keg that had been mounting did not in fact explode. But today I didn't want to look at Yosef, I don't want to look at Yehuda and not the other brothers, but in fact the Egyptians themselves and how they fit into this narrative of chapter 45. Now, there are two verses that interest me greatly in chapter 45. So as we said, the first verse is when Yosef, Yosef right? He can't control himself anymore, and so he cries out that everyone leave him. And then in verse 2, that Yosef is crying, and is crying so loudly that Egypt can hear. And so, of course, the news reaches Paro's palace. So all Yosef's attempts at secrecy um, and uh, trying to keep things under wraps, totally foiled. Everyone knows what's going on. And then after he reveals himself to his brothers, going down now to verse 16, the pasuk says, V'hakol nishma beit paro leimor. Ba'u achei Yosef v'itav b'nei paro v'nei avadav. That the news reach Paro's palace. Yosef's brothers have come. And Paro and his courtiers were pleased, literally, that it was good in their eyes. And then Paro says to Yosef, okay, go get your brothers, have them all come down, go get your father, everyone else, you guys will come here. You're going to eat off the fat of the land. So this is all resolved really, really nicely. And so my question is, what role does Beit Paro, Paro's palace, play here? And why is the news that Yosef's brothers have arrived good in their eyes? Now, in order to, to, to understand this question more <clears throat> and to try to arrive at a solution, I brought three mafarshim today, three commentaries, and I ordered them in order of my understanding of their perniciousness. And we'll see what we mean in a minute by that. So first, I wanted to look at the Sforno. The Sforno says, what, do you, what does it mean by Tabene Paro? That was good in Paro's eyes. He says, because Yosef, until now, according to the Egyptians, he ruled as a gear. Now, he was a good ruler, but he is a gear. He's a stranger. He is someone who doesn't really actually have a stake in the proceedings of the nation, 
other than his own personal gain. Now, I don't mean that as a bad thing, but what we mean that is that Yosef came without any family here, without any other relationships. And so he's ruling because he wants to do well for himself. And he wants, you know, he wants success because success is good things for him. But he doesn't actually have any real investment in the betterment of Egypt. He doesn't have a stake in it quite that way. But now, according to this Forna, once his family is here, he's going to be transformed to an Ezrach. Now he's going to be a citizen of the land. And therefore, according to this Forna, he is going to rule and govern with his full heart to improve the land and its residents. Now, I don't think this is saying it is a bad way. I think it's just what the Sforno is saying that the Egyptians recognized that there were, Yosef had limitations until now because of his lack of rootedness in Egypt. But now if his whole family is there, he has a much different relationship and a much stronger relationship with the nation and with the land, and that will work to everybody's benefit. So that's the formula. Next, I wanted to look at the Nitziv. So the Nitziv also says that the Egyptians were excited by their own possibility of improvement, but for a less nice, more uncomfortable reason than this Forno. Because what, according to the Nitziv, the Egyptians looked around, they said, huh, Yosef has a lot of chachma. He's got a lot of wisdom. He's really smart. And as a result, he's been a great leader for us. He's doing really good things. Now we've got 11 more of them, right? He says that he hoped that, according to the Nitziv, the Egyptians hoped that the brothers would be domin Yosef, that they would be similar to Yosef in intelligence, whether just a little bit or a lot of it. And that they would cause the nation to su- su- succeed, just like Yosef had with all of their wisdom. And so, according to Steve, just like the Sforno, the Egyptians are excited because this means that they're, that Egypt will do even better. But it's for the, the reasons feel more icky. It's because they said, well, if Yosef's really smart, then his brothers must be really smart. So it's going to work out better for us. Okay, next we move to the Ramban. And the Ramban takes it in a much different way. And he doesn't talk at all about the improvement of Egypt or the way that Yosef will now be a better ruler. All he focuses on, and this is an opinion cited by many other of the Mepharshim, and he says that, what, what was the issue? Why are the Egyptians happy? Because Yosef, until now, was a cherpa to them, sort of a disgrace. Why? Because he was an ishnochri. He was a foreign man. He was an Eved, he was a slave, a Beta Surim from prison. So he's this lowly guy, he's been in prison, they don't know who he is, and he happens to be good at his job, he happens to be ruling okay. But now, according to the Ramban, the brothers show up, and suddenly the Egyptians realize, hey, this isn't some lowly random guy. This is actually Yosef's from a respectable family. They're nichbadim, right? They're honored. They are respected. They have wealth. All of these things. And then, according to the Ramban, the Egyptians, that's what was good in their eyes. That this, okay, now we realize Yosef's from the kind of family that a king should be from. And so now we feel like better. We're more comfortable with this setup and with this dynamic. Now, I thought that this exercise was really interesting because I wanted to, to view 
it through the lens of the question of what does it mean to be happy for someone? Our society right now, we live in a society that is extremely averse to selfishness. And often we don't trust people and what they're saying because we suspect that they're really being selfish. But we also don't really, I think, fully trust ourselves because we're worried that we're speaking from a selfish place as opposed to a selfless place. And that if something good happens to someone else, the way to be happy for them is to completely remove yourself from that narrative, right? You can only be truly happy from some, for someone else if you don't actually have any stake in that game, or if you do have a stake in it, that you have somehow managed to entirely nullify the part of you that is invested or that benefits from that good thing that happened to someone else so that it can be a purely selfless gesture. Right. So if like my, you know, someone gets a job um, and then a good, let's say a friend gets a job. Right. And I say, I'm so happy for you. I can only really genuinely be happy for that person if it doesn't affect me at all. And if I do have any positive benefit, well, then it's like, well, of course she's happy because, you know, she's going to, it's going to benefit her also. We, I think we really do look down on this idea of selfishness, of putting oneself at the center. And right now, we certainly, we really, I think we praise people who are completely selfless and who view other people's lives solely through the lens of other people's eyes and never through the lens of your own eyes. And one thing that really struck me about these three sources is that they all depart from that. None of these three sources, and I looked at a lot more sources, I didn't see anyone who said, that the reason that Yosef's brothers all being reunited was good in the Egyptians' eyes was it because now the Egyptians were happy for Yosef that he got to reunite with his brothers. No one says that, right? That would be the selfless model. No, no one says that. They all acknowledge that, there is, that the Egyptians have a stake in this too. There is an element of selfishness. However, that selfishness is not uniformly negative. In the Sforno, I really don't see him saying that the selfishness of the Egyptians looking and saying it's so great that Yosef is back with his brothers is a negative thing. Rather, he's saying, no, he's going to be a better leader now. They're all going to be here. They're going to be have, They're going to be invested in our nation. They're going to have a stake here. And so he's going to lead even better than he had been already. He's going to make things even better for us. Yeah, okay, that's selfishness. You're still thinking about what betters yourself. But it's not rooted in a negative place. You're happy for everyone, right? If everybody wins, then everybody wins. Then this is a good thing. And then it's Eve. He's still viewing it through the lens of things are going to be better. But it's selfishness, I think, in a more negative way without seeing any joy or any consideration for Yosef's own experience. Because he's still saying, yeah, things are going to be better for Egypt. Why? Because Yosef and his brothers, they're also, hopefully the brothers will be smart. And they'll do good things for us too. There's nothing about them living there, nothing about them improving anything. It's it's viewing the brothers really as a commodity instead of an independent entity that is also gonna be benefiting from living there. It, it feels, like I said earlier, it feels yuckier. It feels more like they're using the brothers and this is solely about their own benefit and more of a lack of regard, or I should say less of a regard for Yosef and the brothers and their own well-being. And then it's really the Ramban who sees it totally as negatively as possible. Where according to Ramban, there's going to be no change in Yosef's leadership. 
He's not going to be more invested. There aren't going to be smarter people around. The Rambam doesn't reference any of that. The only thing that's going to change is that the Egyptians' own discomfort with someone of a low status leading them is now going to go away. And now they get to be happier because actually the person leading them is of a higher status. They care only about status and presentation and not actually about content, about improvement, about quality, etc. It's a very negative selfishness, self, selfishness because it's not actually rooted in reality. It's not rooted in fact. It's not rooted in improvement. There's no looking ahead to the future. It's just saying, okay, my own discomfort, my own disgust can now be set aside. And now I get to feel better about myself. And so when you look at the Sforno and the Ramban as a spectrum, I really see them as being opposites. But opposites are still on the spectrum of, of self, like selfishness is a given in both of them. But it shows us that, that selfishness, self-benefit, that itself is not the issue. It's okay to be happy for someone else, for something that's also going to better you. But the question is just what kind of betterment is it? Is it actually better leadership? Is it actually things that are going to help other people and you and to actually progress? Or is it just the kind of thing where it's betterment like, okay, phew, I don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. It enables the, the kind of betterment that the Ramban is talking about is one that enables you to continue to be a not good person that can enables you to just continue to have disgust for lower members of society, which we know was an attitude that was rampant in Egypt, as we see elsewhere in the Parsha. It's just something that enabled them to be the worst versions of themselves. Whereas according to the Sforno, the Egyptians are still excited for selfish reasons, but it's the kind of selfishness that's actually productive, in which things will continue to get better. Egypt will continue to succeed, and not just the land, but also for the people as well. And so the message I take from here is that we don't always have to completely nullify ourselves in a narrative, that's not, the end goal is not um, to ultimate selflessness, to never consider yourself and to only view things through the lens of other people, but rather to be, to think about benefit to yourself when it's an actual benefit and not just something that is going to cater to the, uh, the shallow parts of us, the negative parts of us, but the kind of benefit that will actually make us better people. Good Shabbos.